Hi, everybody. Um, I'm really uh, grateful to be given a, a second chance to do this sermon. Uh, I told the first service that it just so happened that this text and the day, uh, Ascension Day, Ascension Sunday, was my focus for licensing school just last year. And, um, well, afterwards I felt like I did a, a pretty bad job. <laughs> did not go well. So uh, when uh, George asked me if I wanted to preach this Sunday, I thought, yes, redemption. <laughs> uh, February 14th, 1993. That's when I was in third grade. And Miss Eshbaugh was my teacher. She used to be the librarian at my school, and she was my teacher, I remember. And I remember it was that year, uh, and it was that day, that I went to Awana at a little uh, church across the street from my house. I sat to listen to uh, our kind of lesson time for the kids, and it was in the church basement. And if I close my eyes, I can still kind of like, you know, walk into the church, and the stairs going down right to the right of me. Um, I could just walk through it in my mind. And so I remember sitting in this room in the basement. It was an office area with several other students, uh, maybe like six or seven. We were all listening to the lesson for the third graders, and Mr. Palak was the one teaching us. I think there might have been another adult in there. I don't recall. But I remember it was about how Jesus Christ saves us. And I remember as a kid thinking to myself, well, yeah. For me, I looked at it as a pretty purely transactional thing. Jesus Christ offers to save us. He's the only one who can do it. So yeah, if he's the only one that can do it and I need to believe in him, then yeah, of course. I'm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sign me up. Uh, I want to be saved. And I remember that the teacher uh, was like, oh, awesome. And he was so excited to help lead this young uh, kid into this relationship with God. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And that was awesome. And that was the beginning of my journey. And that's something that God used. But in a lot of ways, <clears throat> I see that transactional nature. I see that yes and I feel a kinship with the apostles. Let's go ahead and read here what they said. Keep in mind the history. They've seen Jesus Christ feed 5,000 people. They've seen him heal the Roman centurion's servant. They've seen, or maybe they didn't see that, but they heard Jesus proclaim and it happened. They've seen him heal a blind man. They've seen him heal a lame man. They've seen him cast demons out of a man and into swine that went rampaging off of a, a cliff and into the ocean. They've seen Jesus Christ die the moment he took his final breath and him come back. They've listened to him for the last 40 days teach them. And this is what they say. So when they'd come together, verse 6, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? It's not a bad thing. I mean, they've been oppressed. They've been conquered. 
They've had Roman occupiers in here for a long time. They've had the Greek culture come in and, and Hellenize different areas, bringing in Greek culture and Greek music and Greek ways of thinking. They wanted freedom. It's not a bad thing to want that. But I want to suggest to you that me and the apostles, or at least younger Chris and the apostles, and maybe even perhaps yourself, are the same. Younger Chris was not wrong in wanting to be saved. The apostles weren't wrong in wanting another nation of Israel again. But the hope of our hearts is ever so slightly skewed. In short, we're missing the mark. In fact, you can see this same mentality and the same thought with the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the, were the religious giants of their time. They uh, inspired hope. They loved God. And they wanted to honor God by being holy. So that's why they have all these rules. And that's why they do all of these things. It's not because they're trying to be austere. It's not because they're trying to uh, enslave people's minds or, or dominate them. It's because they loved God. And so these systems develop, these ideas develop around holiness and what it means to be holy for God. But we have the hindsight of looking back and even the gospel looks back and it's like, well, I think the Pharisees didn't quite get it. They're just ever so slightly off the mark. And that caused some huge issues with their faith. They're not evil. They're not maniacal. They're not villains. They're people with zealous minds, but misguided hearts. You see, this, this idea, this zealous minds and misguided hearts idea is not unique to the Pharisees. It's not unique to Chris when he was younger. It's not unique to the apostles. It's a part of our human condition. It's a part of the way in which we can ever so slightly bend things without seeing it. But I want to suggest to you, because all those things aren't wrong, wanting to be saved, wanting to be holy, wanting God's kingdom to be here, or Israel's kingdom, I want to suggest that they're too small. Just me being saved is the focus. Just my relationship with God is the focus. Just the kingdom of Israel as the focus. Just just a political kingdom of Israel as the focus. Just the focus of being holy as the focus. Again, all good things. But should they be our focus? Are they really what the gospel is all about? Because this is something that the church has struggled with for years and years and years and years. And it's too small. Because God isn't concerned with just me being saved. He's about, he's concerned with the restoration of all things. John 3.16 says it, For God so loved the world 
This isn't just about me and my salvation. This is about God coming and repairing everything. This isn't just about the kingdom of Israel. This is about God coming and establishing his kingdom. This is about him coming and bringing about his justice and his love and his reign. This is bigger than the kingdom of Israel. This is about God helping us to be holy and sending his Holy Spirit to bring about that change within us. In all of these things, everybody is wanting something good, but it's just so ever so slightly off the mark. And it causes ripples like in a pond that we don't foresee. But here's the thing. Because this is the amazing thing about this inconceivable God who wants to bring about restoration and his kingdom and his holiness is because he's not just wanting these. These aren't just what we're looking for. This isn't just what he is looking to do. He's looking to bring us alongside of him in that work. Let's continue in verse 7. And Jesus replied, It is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. To those half-Jews in Samaria. This isn't about just here and now. God says it right here. Christ says it right here. This isn't just about the nation of Israel. This is bigger. And he invites you and he invites me to take part in that work. To not just be consumed with being holy. To not just consumed with be by being saved. To not just be consumed with looking towards a kingdom. Again, good things, but not the focus. This is about a bigger thing. About God taking his throne in the here and now. And us helping him to live out that kingdom here and now. So that people can see even just a shade of it. Even just a shadow of it. To see the true God through us, through our ministries, through our conversation, and through everything that we have. This is about us being willing participants in God's plan. And putting to the side the goals of those plans. Because ultimately, that's not the focus. That's all great, but we as a people of God are called to take part in this plan. To take part in a restoration for the world. To take part in bringing about his kingdom. To show the holiness, the true holiness of God through just a small figment of our lives. Another thing happened to me at licensing school that was uh, really memorable for me. Um, Pastor Ben Trammell 
who's the pastor at university in San Antonio, spoke to us. And he, ta- he was talking about, uh, I think it was evangelism or ministry, something like that. And he was talking about how God is in, is in the, is not just like putting churches to just be churches. He's about reclaiming dirt. He's about going out into the world and reclaiming pieces of it, showing people who he is, whether that be at the school and ministering and reading to kids, whether that be in ministering to the homeless population, or whether it be in, in cars, cheap cars for people who can't get to work. But real, tangible things to help bring about God's kingdom here on earth. And it's true. Because eternal life doesn't begin in the future. It begins now. God's kingdom begins now. So here's the amazing thing about this all. And you can imagine it for yourself. As the apostles stand there, they want this nation. And God says, well, you're going to take part in helping me to bring it about. And in probably the span of a minute, you can see the dumbfounded look on their faces as you think about it. As they see Jesus Christ rise into the air and disappear behind a cloud. Because here's the thing, here's the statement that is coming about from this. It's not about the kingdom of Israel. It's about him. It's about the person of Christ. It's not about just me being saved, but it's about God's son. Think for a moment, close your eyes if you need to, and just remember that one person that was so influential to you in your faith. Maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a sibling, maybe it was an uncle, maybe it was a person at church like it was for me with Mr. Palak. Think about how they showed a Christ to you through their words, their kindness, their conduct, their character. That's what we're talking about. That's the type of work that God is calling us to take part in and alongside of him. That's kingdom building. That's holiness. And that's showing people a restoration and a truer truth than we know of what God's plans are for this world for the future. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you and we give you thanks. We give you thanks for being our God and for letting us be your people. We give you thanks that though we be a foolish, ignorant, and stubborn believers, that God, you continually whisper into our hearts, that you continually draw us closer to you, that you continually try to set us towards building up your kingdom here and now, showing your love and your restoration here and now. 
showing us your true beauty and holiness here and now. Help us, Father. Help us to see that it's bigger than us just being saved. It's bigger than just the nation of Israel. It's bigger than just not swearing and these other little things of holiness that we deem important. You have a bigger plan at play and that you are beckoning us to come in and work alongside of you towards its end. Thank you. Amen. With that said, we are going to move into our time of uh, prayers of the people. And so um, there are a couple of people I know that have been mentioned that I am... Uh, I know that Jackie messaged me one earlier, so my apologies. What was... Michael Lingus. Uh, prayers for his health and his family during this time. Um, I know that some other prayers that we need to consider, um, even though a lot of us are isolated, even though a lot of us are alone, even though a lot of us are sick and tired of being sick and tired, <laughs> um, there's still suffering in this world. Whether it be the situation on the border with families coming over, the families and the children, the border patrol agents, whether it be uh, people in Puerto Rico that are still suffering the fallout of the earthquake that happened not just months ago, or the wildfires that happened in Australia, or the people who are still refugees in Syria, those who are being oppressed in Hong Kong, those of you who can't, who can't even come to worship in China for lack of something bad. And of course, those who are suffering from coronavirus, the millions of people all over the globe who are. There's suffering and there's brokenness in this world and we need to lift that up in prayer as well. So if you would pray with me. Father God, we need you. If there's ever a prayer that can be uttered, we need you. No flowery language, just a statement of the fact that there is hurt and pain in this world. And we are insufficient to deal with it. We need you. We lack the power. We lack the expertise. We lack everything to make all of this right. So we need you. We need you in the midst of suffering and in the midst of brokenness. And we lift up our, the people of this world that are in that suffering. We lift up the people of this world who hold loved ones and see them in pain. We lift up the people of this world who sit in grief 
and in sorrow. We lift up the people who are depressed and don't know what to do. We lift up those in pain. We lift up those without. We need you. Father God, send us your Holy Spirit. Move us to do your will. Help us to seek your face. Help us to bring about your kingdom now in whatever way we can. God, we need you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's now time to pass the peace. So, uh, if it's a socially acceptable hour, open up your door and yell at your neighbor. Find somebody within your vicinity and uh, give them a hug. Send a text to that person or a phone call to that person who you've been meaning to for the longest time just to check on. Um, Because now's your opportunity to do it, to be the love of God in this world.